Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Confessions of an IT Business Owner. I'm Taylor Thorson, back again with Ryan Goodman, president and host here on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Today, we are joined by Brad Gross. He is the founder and president of his own law firm. So right off the bat, we're having a, a little bit different conversation than we usually do. Yeah, this is a different episode. In fact, I had asked him, uh, so you, you pass the bar, you become a lawyer. How do you decide to verticalize in technology? Right. And he had a funny answer to how he kind of started. He called himself the 11-year-old 11, yeah. uh, hacker. Which was awesome. Right? So he's come a long way. That's um, for sure. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's really interesting. Some of the other things that we dig into are uh, MSP regulations, you know, his view on that. Um, also, a really interesting dive into the contracts for your MSP and how making sure that your legal counsel understands the services that you're delivering to truly write those contracts to protect you. Um, one of the other things that I think you guys will enjoy are he talks a lot about business operation advice and how that relates back to the contracts yep. too. So yep. uh, this isn't just a legal discussion, guys. This is really good stuff. Really, really good. Good information for everyone listening. So thanks again for tuning in and enjoy. Well, Brad, thank you for joining us here on Confessions of an IT Business Owner. Now, I know you're not directly an IT business owner, but you certainly work with a lot of MSPs and technology professionals. That I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I do, yeah. A few thousand. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, and you've been in this space a long time. And, I, you know, I guess that leads me to my first question. You know, as, as an attorney, you have a lot of paths in life, you know, as you're as – you're, making your choice and you've you've chosen to verticalize uh in and help technologists msp you know it service providers mm -hmm. you know what what brought you to this vertical what was what was the nexus there well the original nexus was prosecuting the first cyber stalking case in the united states no doubt that's how it all started holy crap in the nassau district attorney's office in nassau new york back in probably around 1994, 95 okay. or so, when a uh, woman was being harassed by her ex-boyfriend on various BBSs, which are the, you know, predate, predate websites. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the police didn't know what else to do, so they arrested him for harassment. And they didn't, the office didn't know what to do with this case because no one had ever experienced this kind of thing before. They didn't know the first thing about electronic evidence and uh, and so forth. So they went to the local computer nerd, me, uh, and they said, handle it. So I did. And we ended up going to trial. The uh, defendant was found guilty. He walked out with, I think it was a $50 fine, like a parking ticket. That was it. Yeah. Today, if the same type of thing were to happen in virtually every state, uh, you'd probably be talking about a felony level crime. Oh, wow or at least a high misdemeanor, but probably felony level crime. But it was from there that I realized, you know, I could take technology and what I do and, and take the law and what I do and that, and put them together. Yeah. That's, that's how we ended up here. So what was, what was first? You said that you had been involved in technology. In, in what capacity? So I started out as an 11-year-old hacker. Okay. No that, was, uh, that, was, that was what I did. I had a TRS-80. Uh, which is actually sitting right there. It That's still works. Uh, it might be a little bit off the camera, but it's a Model 1 Level 2, 16K, and had a, uh, a modem, 300-baud modem. And I remember when we got increased to 1,200, that was a big deal. But uh, 
my friends and I were, were hackers and we would hack into different BBSs and we would create uh, uh, phone hacking stuff, for payphone stuff, and we would create stuff that broke through software copyright protection and all. And that's what we were doing. We were like mischievous yeah. computer nerds. Um, and eventually outgrow that stuff. Well, not everybody, clearly, <laughs> we did, uh, but it always stayed with me. The technology bent stayed with me, and uh, now I'm putting it to good use. That is like the movie hacker. I mean, did you <laughs> predate or post-date the movie? Because that sounds like spot on. We can on. talk about movie rights if you want. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? I'm, right? I'm open to that, I'm just saying. <laughs> You're yeah. the guy to argue with about it. <laughs> that's <laughs> For it. Sure. That's what it is. Oh, that's cool. Well, thanks for that. That's that is incredible. So, what what are some of the MSP uh, specific issues that attorneys that are unfamiliar with the MSP space mm -hmm. they may miss? You know, being verticalized seems like there could be gaps yeah. that would exist yeah. without without working with someone like you. Well, the key to this industry is that you have to understand the industry, mm -hmm. right? You have to understand the technologies. You have to understand the solutions because anybody can write a contract, right. all right? You can find all kinds of corporate lawyers, IP lawyers, and so forth. There are a dime a dozen in every state in the country. All right, that doesn't help MSPs, right? Because they need to make sure that the professionals with whom they work understand the technologies, understand right. what goes into a solution, right? What goes into a security stack? Is it just antivirus and malware? Or is it also endpoint protection? Right. Hmm. Is it also a SIM solution? What is a SIM solution? Ask most attorneys. They have no yeah, idea. Understand. Right? Uh, is it involved pen testing? And what are the ramifications that are involved when you do pen testing? Right? I mean, is there a standard of care? Uh, if you don't understand the industry and you don't understand how pen testing is done, you couldn't begin to write a contract right. without standards to adhere to and so forth because you don't even understand the technology. So it, uh, you know, the, the problem that a lot of MSPs have, and I'm not putting down any specific attorney anymore, right. but I'm just simply saying that they get agreements, they get advice from counsel that is geared more toward the corporate area, more traditional businesses. But MSPs aren't operating in a traditional business. They're not operating in a traditional area, and they need very, very specific advice related to the solutions and the stacks that they're offering. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah. obviously, uh, the nature of the business and the the ramped up security measures that MSPs not only need to be taking care of their own house, but the solutions that they need to be deploying down to their end clients. Um, <laughs> it is a different business. You know, we're not we're not selling yeah. we're not selling widgets. We're we're selling protection and, and safety and, and security and backup and and all of that. Um, I'm going to I'm going to take my next question and I'm going to ask it to you more from an MSP's perspective for themselves. You know, what should MSP's be doing to protect their own assets? Ass <laughs> protect their right. asses from a from from a legal perspective. I, it's funny. I just gave a presentation um, in, in Las Vegas last week and that was a slide. It said protect your ass and then yes. parenthetically <laughs> yeah, ETS, exactly. right? Ass. Um, what should they be doing? Well, you start at the beginning. Right? At a foundational level, no MSP should be operating without a contract in place. Okay? Nothing. There is no, there is really no scenario, okay, under which, there's no scenario under which uh, one could say, well, 
this was a small job or this was a low risk job. So we just went about it without, you know, without a problem, without, without a contract. There's no scenario in which that could happen because even if you don't mess something up, you can be accused as an MSP of doing something. You could be accused of it, right? You could be doing a desktop install, sort of a baseline, easy thing to do, right? And as you're doing that, your, your client gets crypto locked. Okay, now, I know that you had nothing to do with it, right? right? You as the MSP, you know you had nothing to do with it. You know who doesn't know? Your customer. Right. Your customer doesn't know that. All they do, right, they turn around and they say, I don't know, Ryan, look, before you got here, everything was working fine. You hooked something to the network and now we're locked up. What are you going to do about it? Hmm. Right? So even the smallest kind of most basic, uh, 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 basic activity can have ramifications later on. And that's why you always need to have a contract in place. You need to have that master agreement in place and every client must accept it before you touch their system. Okay, you can talk all you want, but don't touch a system until they accept your agreement. That is the key. That's the foundation to eliminating liability down the line. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's interesting, and that's a really good uh, uh, example of unintended consequences. I mean, almost like yeah. that reminds me of a favor scenario where, like, ah, just do this quick, you know, in and out, and all of a sudden of there could be a potential issue. Just of because you they didn't. teach you in law school the same thing, by the way. They say, or at least they should, yeah. they did in my law school, they said, uh, you know, if you touch a document, you own it. You own it. You know, if you say, oh, oh this isn't really my thing, I don't really do uh, taxes or wills, trusts, and estates. Let me take a look, though. Once you touch that document, you Trust. own that document. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for a professional service provider and MSP as well. Uh, you touch a system, it's going to be assumed you own that system now, and you have to be ready for anything that can happen within that environment. Hmm. That's that's interesting and good advice. So we talked a little bit about contracts as the baseline. Um, what are some of the other best practices that an MSP can do to to limit potential liabilities? And you know, this is I'm going to direct it more towards a, a, a compliance you know shift. You know, um, yeah. um, what are some of the big things that they need to be doing to limit their exposure, whether that's HIPAA, whether that's, you know, PCI. Um, do you sure. have some baseline knowledge there you can share? Sure. So you have to look at it from two different perspectives. There's the, the compliance solutions that MSPs are offering their clients, or mm -hmm. at least their clients are expecting from yeah. MSPs. And then there is internal compliance, mm -hmm. right? Internal compliance with whatever uh, uh, law regulation is, is imposed on them. Looking at it first toward the client, MSP looking out toward your client, I think it's very important for MSPs to delineate very clearly whether they are offering a regulatory solution or alternatively, they are offering a solution that is regulatory compliant. Very, very different thing. Sure. I can, if I'm an MSP, I can install a BDR system that is HIPAA compliant. Okay, great. You know, put up the agents there, it's all monitored, managed, it's HIPAA compliant. But that doesn't make the client HIPAA compliant, right? That's one small piece of a much larger puzzle. Mm -hmm. The problem that MSPs sometimes face is that their customers, upon receiving that service and upon seeing it says HIPAA compliant, they think, oh, I'm HIPAA compliant. Now. Right, I'm great, yeah. right? They're not. But that's a reality that MSPs should be pointing out to their customers, that even though they have compliant solutions, the solution is not a compliance 
answer. It is not a compliance package. So that's one aspect that I think MSPs really need to think about and focus on. From an internal perspective, what does an MSP have to do to comply with regulations that are out there and so on? And the, you know, the dirty little secret right now is quite candidly, there aren't regulations on right. MSPs directly. There are a few. I know Louisiana has a, uh, has a law that says if you're an MSP, you have yeah. to register with the state. And if you detect a hack that affects a public body, you have to let the state know. Okay, that's regulating an MSP, but that is very weak. That is akin to, I mean, that's like a, a slow ground ball to first base. That's sure. the easiest thing that you can think of. When it comes to regulating MSPs, there really aren't regulations out there that say you must have this level of uh, uh, a qualification or you must follow the following procedures and so forth. But, but, that doesn't mean that we're without guidance and that doesn't mean that MSPs can just say, oh, I'll do whatever I want. Sure. Here's the deal. MSPs are still expected to adhere to and comply with all of the standards that any other company should be adhering to, right? In other words, if the MSPs have their clients' personal information, right, or if they are, have their own data farm, right, where they are housing PII or PHI on right. behalf of their customer, right, they have their own server farm, then all of the things that relate to privacy and security, you have to have reasonable security, you have to have reasonable privacy, you should have an incident response plan in place. If there is a breach, you have to follow the data breach right. uh, notification laws and so on. You have to run your business like every other business, okay? Now, the degree to which MSPs will have to do this, really, will, it, it's going to depend on the type of service they're providing, for example. If an MSP is a pure reseller, just reselling a service, sure. let's say they, there's a backup and disaster recovery service, they're reselling it, they're not touching the client's data, data is stored somewhere else, yes, they installed the agents and are monitoring the agents on the managed environment, but they're not actually seeing the data that's being stored, they're sure. not manipulating it in any way. Well, they really don't have too much to worry about from a security and privacy perspective because they're not involved. Um, they would, however, they would have to make sure that their customers understand that it's a third-party provider doing this and that it's not the MSP. Yeah. And so the customer shouldn't expect things of the MSP. Sure. The customer shouldn't expect, well, are you HIPAA compliant? Are you, you know, uh, 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 SOX compliant yeah. and so forth? The MSP really doesn't have to be, but it needs to have that discussion with the client about where the data is, yeah. who needs to be compliant, and how the different roles interact with one another. That sure. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So from a uh, from a regulation you know standpoint, right now, you know, to your point, there's not a lot of uh, uh, standards regulations that right. MSPs have to adhere to. It seems like the landscape is is starting to shift. I mean, you know, you read articles about you know if yeah. you want to provide to federal agencies, you know, there's a set of uh, uh, standards now that that are in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and mm -hmm. Do you see the landscape shifting over the next decade? Um, I know there's a there's there's two sides yeah. to that that argument on on how far it's going to go. Well, I see certainly the landscape shifting for all uh, MSPs that provide government or s federal or state or municipality 
uh, serv uh, services to municipalities or yeah. for states or, or fed, uh, federal government. I certainly see that landscape changing. It's becoming tighter. Like, you know, you just brought up CMMC uh, uh, certifications are required and so forth. So I see that getting tighter, stricter. I see the auditing uh, will probably occur more frequently sure. and with uh, um, uh, less leeway. Sure. Given. Yeah. Okay. As far as the regulations on MSPs, you know, I've heard a lot about, oh, this state is thinking about regulating that state and so on. But in truth, the states have a problem. And their problem is that they don't understand the technology either. Mm. Right. The legislatures don't understand the technology, which is why, you know, whenever uh, they talk about service providers and they bring up like New York Shield Act or California's Privacy Act, the CCPA, if you really understood those acts, you'd know that 99% of the MSPs in America aren't influenced by either of those acts. They have nothing to do with MSPs. They don't apply to MSPs and so on. Yet they're always brought up as, see, this is how things are evolving. No. I think, personally, the way that MSPs are going to start being regulated is by, right, drum roll, here, drum roll, <laughs> I think they're going to be regulated by insurance companies. Mm. That's where I think you're going to see regulation. I think you're going to see industry uh, imposed regulation, and it's going to start with the insurance companies because insurance companies are getting wiser. Yeah. They're getting wiser about the technologies that are available, and they are understanding how bad things are occurring as a result of not implementing those technologies. Sure. So what I see uh, is I see in the future insurance companies coming down and saying, okay, in your own system, MSP, uh, you know, in your own stuff, okay? Do you have endpoint security? Do you have a SIM solution? Do you have an incident response plan in case bad things happen, yeah. right? What kind of security stack? Don't tell me what you're offering your customers. I want to know what you what have you on your doing? systems, yeah. right? Because you are a direct vector to their systems. And we've seen so it. So I can say, and, right? And when things go wrong, who's going to pay? The insurance mm -hmm. company's going to pay. So I think it's in their best interest now to start looking into MSPs. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that I think they are. I have heard, um, uh, not just through the grapevine, I mean, firsthand, I've talked to MSPs that have gone through this, and they have said that their insurance companies are, with increasing frequency, sending them audits, asking for specific services and specific solutions that they have implemented in their own systems. They'll actually say, tell us who you are using for endpoint security. Yeah. Tell us who you are using as your firewall. They're talking uh, in the language. For your own system. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because they, you know, the idea is that uh, they have to pay out. You know, the liability is on them. Yeah. I think they're the ones that are going to regulate this industry. And I see that coming in the next two to five years. Huh. That's a really interesting take. That's, mm -hmm. uh, that's a good perspective. Hey guys, here with a quick break from our show to remind you to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you're listening. If you have suggestions for future episodes or you want to be a guest on the podcast, email us at podcast at connectbooster.com or send us a message on Facebook or Twitter and we'll be sure to point you in the right direction. Lastly, to find out more about our guests, check out their information in the podcast description. Thanks for listening to the Confessions of an IT Business Owner. Let's get back to the show. Pay attention, guys. That was good. That was good info right there. That was well, good. Pay info. attention to your insurance carriers. Yeah. They, because uh, yep, they're smart. paying attention to you. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, follow the money. I mean, it's you know, makes makes it pretty clear who who ends up paying the price. You know, they're going to want to be exactly. protected, right? Huh. Exactly.
Well, shifting, uh, you know, that's that's actually a nice little segue. We're going to talk about cash, um, you know, in collections for MSPs, you know, and if they have have an issue with providing services, you know, and not getting paid, do, does an MSP have any type of recourse? Does that sit inside sure. of their MSP, you know, MSA? Sure. Like what 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 type of strings do they have if they're not getting paid and they're well, being provided service? I'll tell you, I think that, yeah. Look, there's general contract law and then there's contract, right? Then there's a contract. General contract law says that if one party doesn't act under a contract, the other party is divested of its obligation, right? Which is a fancy way of saying you don't do something, the other party doesn't have to do something. Sure. That's why we have contracts, right? Mutuality. Okay. Every MSP should say in their agreements that if the client doesn't pay, then they can cut services hmm. or suspend services. That should be in every contract. Now, the question is, can you impose that? Or how do you impose it? Yeah. To that, I would look by way of analogy to the electric company, right? The electric company. You may not have read the fine print when you signed up to get electricity at your house or your apartment and so on, but when you signed up to do that, you agreed that if you don't pay the bill, they can cut your service, okay? But does the electric company actually cut your service if you don't pay your bill? Let's say you pay it late, right? I know we've all paid our bill late. I oh, missed the bill. Suddenly you look, sure. oh, I forgot to pay last month. But I still have my lights. Why? Why? Well, they could have cut your electricity. They have the legal right to do it, but they don't. Why? Because they want to manage expectations. They want to work with the customers, right? They don't want people thinking that they are, you know, the, the worst people in the world for just turning off your lights and so on. So what do they do? They'll send you maybe one notice, maybe two notices, right? The third final disconnection yeah. is going to happen at some point in the future. All right. They don't have to do that. Contractually, they can just cut your service because that's what you've agreed to in your contract. Well, the same thing with MSPs. I think every MSP needs to have in its contract uh, something that says that we can cut your service, okay? But I think that MSPs are well advised to exercise caution in doing that, sure. okay? And the idea is you give maybe one or two different notices with period, cure periods and so forth. Yeah. So as far as do they have a remedy? Yeah, they have a contract remedy. It should be built into suspend services. But my recommendation is you have the power, you don't necessarily want to exercise it sure. until you've exhausted at least one or two rounds of attempts to get paid. Sure. sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, the, my next question is really around um, MSPs uh, giving advice for solutions to keep their clients secure. And I, I hear a lot about um, MSPs, and a lot of times they talk about struggle in the sales process or the end client not understanding how important a service is yeah. and, and they'll feel like oh, they're just trying to have a money grab to implement more technology in my environment where right. at the end of the day the msp says no this is this is like mission critical the landscape's changing and we need to we need to change our yeah. approach but the end client sure. still decides that they want to decline that service that the msp would right. deem almost mission critical right to, to be safe so sure. what, what should they be doing in, in those type of scenarios? How should they be handling those conversations? So I think that that has to be approached from both a legal and a client management perspective. Sure. Legal perspective. Okay. Legally, your agreements should say that you're only going to get what's in a quote. Okay. Right? You're only getting what's in a quote. 
And the idea is, is that we're trying to eliminate um, uh, uh, scope creep, sure. right? We're trying to eliminate scope creep. We want to make sure everyone's on the same page. So you should begin with the foundation. Your document should say, whatever is in a statement of work, a quote, a proposal, whatever you're using, that's all you're getting. And if it isn't in there, you don't get it, okay? That's how, that's how we start. That's step one, okay? That's in your, in your agreement. The next thing that I would recommend that MSAs, uh, MSPs do is that in the quote that they give, whatever they're using, and I don't care what solution they're using, they could be using any of the third-party quoting services, sure. they could be using Word or Excel or QuickBooks or whatever it is. Yeah. You need to put in your quote something to the effect of the only services that you, customer, are getting are listed in this quote. If they're not in this quote, you don't get it. Yeah. Now. You'd say, well, didn't we already say that in the master agreement? Yes, we did. Should we say it again? Yes, you should. Because a lot of people don't read their master agreements. Mm. And even though that you're still covered legally, right? Just because they didn't read it doesn't mean it doesn't apply. You're covered legally, but you want to manage expectations. Sure. You want to eliminate scope creep. You yeah. want to eliminate disappointed expectations. So what you say is, in the quote, you're only getting what's in here. Review the quote carefully. If you want a service or you have a question about a service that's not listed here, contact us. We may be able to help you. We may be able to add that to this quote, right? You invite a conversation. From that perspective, okay, if a customer declines a service, well, then it doesn't end up in the quote. Sure. Your MSA and your quote both say, if it isn't in here, you don't get it. So they don't get it. Is that the end of the story? No, that's not the end of the story because what we find is that customers still don't get it. Hmm. You could say things in an MSA, in the quote, they still don't get it. They still assume that things are going to be provided to them when they're not. So what I always, always, a good chunk of the time recommend yeah. uh, is that there is another communication from the MSP to the customer telling them that they have declined an important service. Yeah. Not asking them whether they agree sure. that they've declined it. Sure. They've declined it. Not asking them to waive anything mm. or hold the MSP harmless because what you're doing by, by asking for a hold harmless or a waiver is you're actually inviting a conversation about whether the MSP had a duty to provide that service mm. but isn't. Mm. And as a result, now you're looking to have the person hold you harmless or waive their rights. No, from my perspective, you didn't have the right to get this service at all. So I don't need you to waive anything. I don't need anything, I don't need you to hold me harmless. Yeah. I'm just telling you, right? I'm telling you, like I'm telling you, I'm gonna hold my hand up right now like this, okay? I didn't need you to sign a waiver, so you're gonna hold me harmless if you don't like that, right? No, it's notice. And that's what MSPs should be doing. So they should be including this thing in a, a, a disclaimer in the MSA. They should be including it in the quote. And then for services that have been declined that are important services that you think might come back to bite them, give them a notice. You declined this service. Here's the bad thing that could happen. Sure. The service will not be provided to you unless you and I, you and we agree mm -hmm. in writing to do that. And one other thing, you should always remind your customers that if they cannot, if they don't want the service now, but they want it later, there may be a delay in mm -hmm. implementing that service. 
right? Because sometimes customers at the last second realize, I shouldn't have turned this down. I need this. And they call up the MSP and they say, all right, implement MFA across all of our devices. Okay, <laughs> we can get to it in about two weeks, right? Right, right? Well, no, this is important. We have sales teams going out, but the idea is that their emergency doesn't become the MSP's emergency, but you need to tell them that. And what I, found, what I have found is that when you tell a customer, look, you've declined it, here's a bad thing that can really happen, really bad. We're not going to help you with it unless we agree to do it. And, and by the way, if you need our help in the future, it's subject to availability very often customers will revisit that decline service. They'll say, all right, well, tell me a little bit more about this because you've made it sound really bad, Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, the situation yeah. is bad. So that's the, that's sort of a best practice that I would say MSP should be following. So that's, that's really interesting. And I think, you know, I, everyone's thinking it, you're really doing a great job because you're making the point of, there's a difference between a contract in contract language right. and there's a whole other sphere of experience around understanding the business that you're serving and working in. So there's so much of this that is just good general business advice that yes, it all ties back to the contract and contract law, but it's also yeah. like here, here's operational protocol in how you need to be representing this outside of the fine print document. This is how you should right. be approaching the client. Right. And, and here are the two, three things beyond the contract that you should be doing, which is really, really valuable. So for sure, because ultimately you're not selling a product, you're selling a service right. and services are amorphous. Okay. <laughs> services are amorphous and I don't care. You could pick any service in the world, legal, medical, accounting, cleaning, uh, recycling, anything, pick a service. It's an amorphous, it's, it's, it's changes, right? Yeah. The, the parameters change and so forth. And as a result, you know, you could say, well, we're only liable for this service and I could secure you from a legal perspective, pretty, pretty well airtight. Okay. But that doesn't stop mismanaged expectations. Sure. It still doesn't people saying, well, I thought from saying, I thought this was covered. I thought this service would cover that. And what happens is then you end up in conversations that cost you time mm -hmm. and money. For sure. That's why you have to manage expectations. And like you just said, move outside of the fine print and explain things. Yes. Yeah. yeah, for sure. No, that's, that's really good. Um, so let's talk about the ending of a business relationship, you know, an MSP mm -hmm. and end client for whatever reason, it's not going to work out long-term. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything has an end of life at some point. Right. So, um, what are some issues and what are some of the things that MSPs may need to do to protect themselves in an offboarding scenario with a client? Yeah. Are there other lingering liabilities that exist? You know, I'd just love to get your, your insight on that. Well, I'll tell you, um, end is something that you need to think of at the beginning, hmm. okay? Too many MSPs in their zeal to get the job done, to get the deal in the door, uh, uh, forget that things will end. And as I often say to groups when I talk about this, things end and usually not well. Sure. Right? It's usually not the case that your customer is leaving you because you've done a great job <laughs> right. and your prices are perfect. Right. They're below market. 
right? And it's like Christmas morning every day. And but I'm, you know, we're moving away. But from we're moving along. Yeah. No, that's not how it happens, right? It happens of uh, Ryan's uh, solution stinks, or he wasn't paying attention to me, or I'm overpaying him for what right. I'm getting, or he didn't help me when I needed the help, mm -hmm. right? Or I expected something. And then the question is, you know, now what? Well, now they're gone. That's the end, right? The end is often accompanied by people who aren't even talking to each other. Right? They're talking through attorneys. They're talking through third parties. Right. Sometimes they're talking through their incoming provider. Right? I'm the incoming provider. Client doesn't want to talk to you anymore, so right. you guys talk to me. Right. Wonderful. Right. <laughs> this is this is a great situation. So, you got to think about the end at the beginning. And as far as transitioning is concerned, one of the things that MSBs often find is that they're owed money. Right. And even though they're owed money, the customer who's leaving says give me all my stuff i want all my data i want all my passwords i want you know everything that that you've set up for me i want that and the msp turns around and says well pay us you know pay us what you owe us we'd be happy to help you transition out just pay us what you owe us and the answer is well no no, no, no. we'll settle that later right now if you don't give my incoming vendor what it needs my business is in trouble it's going to go down you uh, we might be out of business what to do this is the scenario that you need to think about at the beginning. Mm. And in fact, I would venture to say that it needs to be considered in your master agreement. Mm. And the idea here is that everything, your relationship with your customer, unless your customer is uh, a municipality or um, you know, a, a financial institution that is covered under all kinds of different laws, sure. right? federal, state, local, and so on, um, your average customer okay your relationship with that customer is a creature of contract it's a creature of whatever agreement you have put into place i you know I, i'm going to give you a service at this time for this amount and so on all right transition services are just that hmm. they are services they are subject to the contract hmm. if you put it in your contract if you don't put it in your contract then it's the wild west all yeah. bets are off and it's well, you have to give this to me or my business is going down. You haven't paid me. Well, my lawyer says you have to tell me or I'm going to sue. And, but Here if it's in are. the contract, what if there was a contract that said, look, at the end of a service, we will provide you transition services if you are fully up to date in all payments. Mm -hmm. That's a minimum. And you agree to pay our rates for transition services, whatever they might be, right. with amounts that we require up front. Mm -hmm. You have to agree to that. And just so we are all on the same page, this is in the contract, transition services includes provision of passwords, provision of stored data, provision of config files, right, or, you know, uh, or disclosure mm -hmm. of configurations uh, in the servers, all the stuff that your incoming person would need all that stuff for us to give it to you that is a transition service okay and you agree that we don't have to provide transition services unless you're fully paid and so on yeah they sign on the bottom That's line great. now there's the end give me my stuff pay us well no what are you going to do you got to sue I have a contract here where you actually said this exact scenario, what we're playing out right now, is subject to you paying me. Yeah. So I'm not sure, you know, what your emergency is. I'm just sticking to our contract. Yeah. Puts it in a different perspective. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. But MSPs don't think that way. Mm -hmm. They need to start thinking that way.
I agree. So we're about we're about to the end, but I think it would be insane if I didn't ask you this question. Um, MSPs need to talk to you. I know there's a lot of holes out there that exist inside of uh, contracts processes and inside of uh, the listeners that are going to be, you know, uh, listening to our conversation here. Um, How how do they get a hold of you? How do they 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 reach out to you? Yeah. Well, a couple of ways. First, they can send an an email to info at bradleygross.com. So it's my full name, bradleygross.com, info at... Uh, they should also tune into my Bradcast. That's what ah, I call it. Not a podcast, a Bradcast. It's a Bradcast. I'm very clever like that. Uh, <laughs> so there's the Technology Bradcast, and it's www.technologybradcast.com. It is has about 30, 32 episodes or so. It is devoted to the MSP community. It is free. Brilliant. It is anywhere from, uh, it consists of eight to 12 minute episodes. That's awesome. Just advice targeted to a very specific problem. Mm -hmm. We may be talking about declination of services. We may be talking about merger and acquisition and how you need to prepare for that. Yeah. All kinds of things. So they should tune into that as well. Oh, that's awesome. That sounds like a really great resource. Thanks for sharing that with everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I know it's Friday and we're pushing the afternoon. I don't want to keep you here forever because it's Friday, man. You know, you, you gotta, we gotta, Enjoy and roll into the weekend. Although, although, does it mean know. anything? I, I yeah, I, I was just going to say. It's what like, is this yeah. Friday that you speak of? <laughs> I don't know. I thought <laughs> I could. Sure. I thought maybe I could vicariously live through some uh, wild schedule you have. <laughs> yeah, I'm, and I'm vicariously living through somebody else because I don't know. This, this Friday that you speak of doesn't seem to impact us. We're, we're still working. Well, if you've ever figured that out, yeah, hit Mm -hmm. hit me a line. All right. (laughs) That would be great. Um, Any other, any other final uh, thoughts for our audience uh, before, before we uh, finish up here? I mean, I guess my final thought would be that, uh, and I see this whenever I speak across the country, Mm -hmm. uh, you get some MSPs that are small, very small, one man shop. Sure. Then you have some that are moderate, 15, 20, 25 man person shops. And then you have large MSPs. They have 50, 100, 150 people working for them. I can tell you this. They all have the same problems. Mm. They all have the same problems. And if you are listening to this and you're a small shop and you say, well, this, I mean, I'm a small shop. This isn't about me. Or, you know, if you're uh, thinking, oh, this only affects the big guys, it affects everybody. Interesting. It doesn't matter if you're a one-man shop or a 50-man shop doesn't matter and i would suggest that you all have the same problems you all have the solutions would be very very similar if not identical so follow up you know if you think that you want a better contract doesn't matter if you're a one-man shop or a 20-man shop get a better contract yeah your problems are the same your liabilities are the same Hmm. so get it done that's my advice good advice brad Thanks so much for spending the time with us today, man. This was Absolutely. this was great. I certainly enjoyed it. It was educational for me, so I know it's going to be educational for others. And great, appreciate Thanks for it. having me. You bet. You've just listened to Confessions of an IT Business Owner with our host Ryan Goodman. If you like this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. As always, don't forget to subscribe and please recommend us to your channel colleagues. If you'd like to find out more about Connect Booster, visit us at connectbooster.com. Thanks again, and we will see you next time.